Murder. Murder. ba Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? Hey. Hey. It's been a little while because we had a two-part Patreon. It's been like a week. Yeah, I know, but that's like... Has it even been a week? Yeah, it's been a week. Because oh. remember, we had the two-parter for mm-hmm. the Patreon. Yeah, I remember. Which I'm very proud of us because we did back-to-back days. And usually... I was not a piece of shit. Dude, you're licking that and that's kind of turning me on. Really? You're licking your whipped cream. It's sweet <laughs> cream. Oh, you got his coffees at 7.30 at night. I love it. Fuck yeah. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, we did it back-to-back. We, we, we weren't pieces of shit. I was not a piece of shit. Oh, my God. Can mm-hmm. you believe it? No. We actually stuck to our guns. I know. Mm. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. Mm-hmm. It was a good one. If you guys want to be Patreons, go to www.patreon.com forward slash death do us part, the number one. We do have a couple new ones. You want to just, while we're talking about it? Yeah, let's let's read them off. Let me get there. Mm. God, you got some good coffee tonight, though. Mm. I know, it's hitting my soul. Yeah, it is. Um, we have Ro, my aunt. Ro, Ro. Ro. Lauren. Lauren, thank you. Kara. Kara, thank you. Lexi. Lexi, thank you. And Osbound56. Osbound56, mm-hmm. thank you. I think Lauren and Kara are from not in the country. Ooh. All right. Yeah. You can always tell when it's like an odd overseas. Number. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that's mm-hmm. cool. Welcome to the family, guys. Thank mm-hmm. you. <clears throat> like I said, if, if sign up because we got some good episodes. Our next Patreon is going to be Tupac. Motherfucking Tupac. Tupac Shakur. Dude, like I can't fucking wait. I'm excited for I'm gonna it. I'm going to have Dear Mama playing in the background. Oh yeah. Like. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. It's going to be a good episode. I have a hard time doing the murder of Tupac when he ain't dead. I know. He's in Cuba. Oh, he's in Cuba. I'm just saying. But I don't know. We'll talk I about those know. theories. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Because according to someone who just sung like a bird. Yeah, he did. He's, he's dead. He's Dude's going to get fucking killed in jail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. If, was he even charged? I don't know. Well, hmm. I don't watch TV. Stick around and you guys will find out on do Patreon. You, do you know if he was charged? I don't know. Oh, okay. To be honest with you. <laughs> I'm like, is that like a <clears throat> teaser or do you just not really know? No, I really don't know. I don't either. I, don't I know I know he gave someone up yeah. who hired him. Yeah. But we'll we'll get into Which all that. Which we all that. fucking knew. Yeah. We'll so. get we'll get into that. So So what else is going on, baby? tired you worked fucking like 18 hours today Mm -hmm. did not sleep Mm -hmm. have been doing laundry ever Mm -hmm. since um i give you credit because i don't know how the fuck you're still awake do you want to hear the best part what (laughs) they uh they called me to come in come back in stop laura was like Absolutely not. No. No. I I would have put my foot down. No. There's no fucking way. I would have been off all day tomorrow, so I wouldn't have minded, but 
Laura was like, <coughs> absolutely Excuse not. Me. Absolutely not. And I was like, all right, mom, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on this one. Yeah, I'm like, Laura, I haven't been to bed yet. Laura's like the bo- big boss with you. Yeah, so. she watches out for me. Yeah, good. Because there's no way. I, I, I would have put my She's foot like, down. There are 17 other fucking options that are not Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. See, they always, they pick you because you say yes. Well, because here's the thing. Tomorrow's Halloween. I would have taken the whole day off. Well, yeah, but well, still, well. it's too much. I would have been asleep. But I mean, isn't that even an OSHA violation? No. I was off. <sighs> yeah. Well, okay. Mm-mm. All right. Not at all. Mm. You could punch out for two and a half minutes. No. there's You need a certain amount of hours, and I think it's eight. You do, as the police. Yeah, it's not just the police. Babe, are you really going to argue with me? It's what I do for a living. Literally what I do for a living. You're familiar with your job, though, yeah. But other jobs, there's OSHA violations, I get it, but we're talking about my job. Okay. Just saying. So you could be clocked out for two minutes and then... Clock right back in. That's Dude, that's ridiculous. Mm Mm-hmm. That and That's there's a lot of ridiculous. a lot of those. That's so unhealthy and a, dangerous. A lot of those labor laws and and rules that they have regarding like time frames and stuff like that. Yeah. It if you volunteer, it negates the the law essentially. I yeah. You can't I, be I knew forced that. to do it. Yeah. But if you volunteer for it, you know. Because when we were short, really short yeah. people, we were getting stuck on the 18s. Yeah. But you, there had to be eight hours yeah. in between. Well, and that's like on the street. Yeah. You can't stay, um, you you cannot stay on the clock for longer than 27 hours if there's no quarters. You have to have X amount of hours off in between. Yeah. You can only work seven days in a row. Like, yeah. So, I mean, it just, it depends on the job. Oh, my God. So. But still, I can't believe they called you. I, I would have gone. You should have. That's the thing. I would have gone. Oh, my God. I would have got the phone from you and... Hell to the no. I would have done Hell it. Hell to the no, no, to the no, no, no. Just to be off all day tomorrow. Yeah. So. But then I wouldn't see you for a little bit. I get to see you. I'm working tomorrow. I know. I get to see you. You're yeah. my boss. Yeah, not tomorrow. Boss lady. So. <coughs> God, I got like a hair stuck in my throat. Oh, my vape's gone. Oh, your vape! Your vape is done. You can't suck it in the microphone. Oh my god, I fucking hate you! <laughs> don't you really want to poke the fucking bear? No, like, I for don't. Real. Do you need to get a new one? No, I have a second one right there. Please, <laughs> <laughs> fucking prepare. Oh my god! I had god. a kid at work asking one day. He's like, "Why do you have like nine vapes in front of you?" And I was like, "Because you, you lose." I was like, seven of them. Uh, a, I like variety. Yeah. Uh, and then literally one of the girls walked in and was like pointing at which one she wanted, grabbed it and took it. And I was like, reason number two. <laughs> and so. you lose the rest of them. I do. In the couch. Yeah. The couch eats them. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't lost one in the couch in a while. My earbud. Totally oh, your earbuds every single day. Yeah. Oh my God. Where's my other one? You fall asleep with them. Sure do. Where do you think it is? I'm pretty sure the last time I fell asleep with the right one, it, yeah. I flung it across the room and now I can't find it. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you do that? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I have no idea. 
Oh, did you get whipped cream on it? No. It tastes like whipped cream on top, and it's delicious. Foam. I love the foam. Oh, did I get sweet cream foam on your... I don't fucking know what it is. Whatever it is, it's delicious, so thank you. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know what it is, but... (sighs) Thank you. Cheers. It's hitting the soul right now. Oh, you got a cold one? Yeah. Yeah, I like the warm one. I'm, I only I'm, drink the hot in the morning. I, I can't do the cold ones. They just don't taste good to me. I only drink hot in the morning. But that, uh, you know, I started working out, and I'm doing the protein shakes now after, and the coffee protein, um, I wanted to vomit. Do you want to know what one of the crews brought me this morning? What? And I love them, but I wanted to fucking kill them all at the same time. Texas Roadhouse rolls with butter. Oh my god, mm-hmm. dude, those are. He put the bag in front of me, and I was like, "What is that?" Yeah, it's like Texas Roadhouse, and I was like, "Motherfucker!" Oh, I had to hide them. I was yeah. out of mind. So, because you would you would have eaten them. all of them, all of them. There would have been none left. None. I would have licked the fucking container with the butter in it. <laughs> It's called spade a spade here. I know, so. right? I would have done the same. That's that's so all right. Good. We're trash. I don't care. Yeah. Oh my god! Speaking of which, okay, so like, I w- I don't want to be like a piece of shit my entire life. Yeah. I mean, I'm already forty one years in. What's the difference? But I'm like, I'm gonna get organized. Why are like storage containers so fucking expensive? Oh, I know. They are. Are you trying to keep me a piece of shit, Target? Dude, they're like the same price as regular dressers. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I want to organize under the kitchen sink. I don't want to pay $37 to do it. But I'm serious. They're like the same same amount as a dresser. Mm -hmm. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's like Target trying to keep me down, man. Yeah, I know. I know. What are you going to do? Not buy them. Right. So, anyways, um, before I forget, happy Halloween to everyone. Um, Be safe tomorrow. If you're having your parties tonight, be safe. I got it. (laughs) So, Josh, our nephew. Yeah. And I have been trying to get together to go out and drink for, like, ever. Yeah, I know. So, we were going to day drink today. And then he opened a can with his bare fucking hands, apparently, and cut himself. And then I forgot. And I was not even off of work until fucking noon. Yeah. And I was like, well, just come trick-or-treating with us tomorrow. Yeah. And he's like, fuck you, it's cold. And I was like, uh, my dude, that's why you get shit-faced. Yeah. Stay warm. And he's like, uh, enough said, I'm in. Yeah. And I was like, dude, the neighborhood we go around, I'm like, houses have shots. Yeah, the like, parents put out shots and a drinks. Couple, yeah, that like push a stroller. It's genius. Their kids are 12. They still push a stroller because it's got the cooler in it. I was like, dude, everybody wears a big coat. You each grab seven fucking cans and you shove it in your coat and you go. And he's like, dude, I'm I'm in. in." (laughs) So that's how I got Josh to trick or treat with us tomorrow. It's it's so cool (laughs) now that he's 21 and can drink. You know what I mean? Legally. Legally. But yeah, anyways, happy Halloween, guys. Um, I hope your kiddos have a good Halloween. Get lots and lots of candy. But uh, yeah, just be safe. Uh, My girl, Kate, 
that I work with shared a picture, an old picture. Yeah. Do you remember a couple years back what her daughter was for Halloween? If you say it, I... When she was Bob Ross. Oh, yeah. Dude. That was the best costume ever. Ever. Because her 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 hair. hair, It's Bob Ross's. Dude. Yeah, that's... I was like, I totally fucking forgot when she was Bob Ross. She had a little paint thing. She was probably like two or three, wasn't it? It was a couple years ago. Yeah, she's two. It was fucking great. Yeah, that's She's hilarious. a witch this year, and in case anybody's wondering, she's a good witch. Yes. Everybody needs to know that. She's a good witch. And our son is going to be a Ninja Turtle. Yes, finally. Donatello. Oh, yeah, I got to find my t-shirt. Yeah. <clears throat> you got to wear it. You got to support the, support the Teenage Mutant mm. Ninja Turtles. Going to have a jacket on so I can have my case of beer in my coat, but yeah. Mm. You know. Just be safe when you're coming home, because I'll still be at work. Just... Please all three be blocks that yeah. I'm gonna make Josh drive. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm serious. Please, please be careful because you know I worry I about that stuff. I'm not, I could walk home. Yeah, but it's too far for Jax to walk home. I said I could walk home. Okay, but yeah, yeah just please be careful. No, I will. All right. I couldn't even tell you last time I got like actually shit faced. Yeah, but it though. doesn't take you much, and you don't realize that. Are you going to just call me out? I'm not trying to be Judgy McJudge. You but are. It, without a pancreas and spleen, yeah. it, it doesn't take long. Yeah, it fucks things up. Yeah. Whatever. And I'm you gonna get a up. little hangry <clears throat> at Oh, me. my God. Are you done? <laughs> <sighs> Jesus fucking Christ. So just be careful. And all of a sudden, I'm 12. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be like your parent. You 100% are. There's someone at the door. That's why he's barking. Oh. I don't know who's at the door. I don't know either. Uh, Whatever. Or maybe he was agreeing with me. No. There was a notification that someone was at the door. Oh, really? Did you order something? Hanger things. Oh. I gotcha. We had to organize the closet. Are you done now? I think so. I think so. I'm just showing how much I care about you. No, I meant you're fucking coughing. I, babe, I know it's terrible. We keep having to pause it because I'm coughing up a fucking lung. I got like a hairball or something or phlegm. I don't know. You're gross. Want to make out? No. (sighs) So, why don't we uh, jump into this awesome case that we got? This one is fucked up. This is a request, but we also wanted to do it, yeah. and I think it's perfect for Halloween. Oh, yeah, it totally is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this, we're doing the case of Ruthie Mae McCoy, which is what the Candyman is loosely based off of. Yeah, inspired the Candyman. Candy She's actually brought up in the movie. Oh, is she? Really? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In the movie, this chick is doing, she's in college, and she's doing some paper about yeah. urban legends. Yeah, I know. They I ask know. about if Ruthie was killed after calling Candyman through the mirror. Yeah. So, yeah, she was mentioned. I haven't that. seen the old one in a long oh. time. I've seen the new one. I've never seen the new one. Yeah, the new mm-hmm. one's pretty decent. <clears throat> pretty creepy. Yeah, no. But, I've... uh... The, the old, old one, one <clears throat> the guy who played Candyman, what's even creepier, and I know, I know I've told you this before, but there was a worker at 
Cook County morgue. Who? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That looked identical. Yeah. Identical to yeah. him. I would freak out and, and had a lazy eye, oh, and, I, babe. There's a guy at work that's like a prettier version of him, and I call him Candyman, and he gets mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people at work don't hate me. Right. I, for real. I right. don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I just There's one kid, every time I say his last name, I start singing It's Raining Tacos in my head. <laughs> you're such a dick. His last name is, has taco in it. Oh, my so God. So every time I say, listen, this is the same guy who walked up to the window the other day, and he's like, hey, I got new glasses. And I was like, uh-huh. And he's like, do I look like a lesbian librarian? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. That was <laughs> great. And he actually does. Like, I feel bad. I didn't want to say it, but, like, he does. One of the girls was like, might have been a little, you know, off, but spot on. (laughs) Spot fucking on. He did. When he raised his hat up, like, he totally did. The day we changed the facial hair policy, that kid went home and, like, pushed down and was like a Chia Pet and fucking has a full facial hair, full (laughs) face of hair now. I was like, where did that come from? That's awesome. Did you just kind of go, and it all came out? Like, yeah. All of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Like Play-Doh. You know, when you push it and, like, the hair comes out. We have cameras now. Yeah. These nice new cameras. And him and his partner were fucking around in the vestibule. And I hear him fucking around, and then I hear them both go, oh. (laughs) And I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, uh, well, I grabbed a handful of his genitals, and then I saw the camera. And I was like, (laughs) would it have stopped you? And he's like. No. (laughs) I'm like, okay, so what's the problem? Oh, my God, this place. (laughs) But every time I, yeah, every time I say his name, I start singing, it's raining tacos in my head. You're such an asshole. Yeah. Uh, These two are, they're fucking, they showed up in cowboy hats one day. Oh, my God. I thought the one guy was going to have a fucking stroke. He's like, go take care of that now. And I was like, I'm on it. I got it. I'm right on top of that, Rose. Right. Yeah. Uh, Right. All right, well, let's, uh, I think we should jump right into it. All right. I'm excited for this one. So a little background. Um, This takes place in one of the buildings, older buildings of the Chicago Housing Authority. Right. Now, um, a big group of uh, the Chicago Housing Authority was called the ABLA Homes, the ABLA Homes. Yeah. Um, It was a public housing development that comprised of four separate public housing projects. It was the Jane Addams Homes, the Robert Brooks Homes, the Loomis Courts, and the Grace Abbott Homes. And a little thing that bothered me when I was listening to a couple podcasts. I left a whole spot in here for you to talk about that. Okay. All right. All right. Continue. We can talk about it now. I don't care. No. The Housing Authority, they were not security guards. They were their like, own police force. They were their own police. They were an actual police department mm-hmm. that was either federally funded mm-hmm. or state funded, but they ran out of money. And when they were tearing them down, they disbanded yeah. the police department. And then, in, in, but it, they weren't security, like just <clears throat> regular security guards. They were full yeah. police officers. And I think if you don't know that you wouldn't know that because it, um, it doesn't say that in anything exactly. that I read. Exactly. So a couple of guys that I, I worked with, they started, Mm-hmm. in the Chicago Housing Authority. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously when they disbanded, went to Chicago, went to the suburbs. Now, it's important to know in this case, when we when I talk about the police 
and their actions. I'm talking about CPD, Chicago Police Department. Right, right. right. Like, they, sh- <clears throat> Chicago would back them up all right, the time. Right. They, so, they would come on the calls with them. Yeah. But the CHA police, they would respond first. Yeah. So these this development was located on the near west side of Chicago. Um, <clears throat> it was, so north and south end was Cabrini Street and 15th Street. And then east and west was Blue Island Avenue and Ashland Avenue. It was one large site, and it uh, totaled 3,596 units. And I don't think people realize how bad these buildings no, were. No, no. And police I'll, I would get be, to it. Police would get ambushed yeah. nonstop yeah. every day there. So... I mean, they weren't even allowed to take the elevators in there because... Because they would hide the, in the, the ceilings. Yes, yes. Yeah. A lot of crime happened in the elevators because, like, people get robbed and raped in the elevators because yeah. they would hide in the ceiling. Yeah. Um, now, the Gracie Abbott homes were actually the worst ones of yeah. the Chicago Housing Authority, all of the developments. Right. Including Cabrini Green, which I know everybody has fucking heard, has heard of. of. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> now, construction started with the Abbott's, uh, excuse me, Adams Homes in 1938, and it was part of the Roosevelt, uh, part of Roosevelt's Public Works Administration Program. Uh, they finished the construction with the Abbott Homes in 1955. Now, for the duration of its existence, essentially, it housed upwards of 17,000 people. But only 8,500 of those people were on the lease. And just imagine why Chicago and the surrounding suburbs have crime like they are. Because when they got torn down, they they got put everywhere. Right, right. Everywhere. Right. So you had gangs that were mixed with other gangs that formed new gangs. Right, right. I mean, it, it the town bad. I worked in, I mean, it, it, it was nuts. Yeah. You know, it, it bordered yeah. Chicago, and they sent a lot of the residents from CHA to our, our, right. our town, mm-hmm. and we were nonstop. Now, so the Abla Homes had the second largest population of all of the Chicago Housing Authority. Um, <clears throat> and it was second only to the Robert Taylor Homes. Cabrini Green had a bigger, like, land size. Right. But population-wise, Abla Homes were higher. Right. Um, in 1986, okay, so the Grace Abbott Homes, the worst ones in Chicago Housing Authority. It was comprised of 33 two-story row houses. And seven high-rises. Now, it had 3,600 residents. Um, they were, at the time in of the census, they were all black. Most were under the age of 18, and 85% of the households were headed by females. Yep. The average income was $4,500 a year. Yeah. Which nowadays is roughly sixteen to $17,000 That's still year. nothing. That's literally nothing. How, how literally can you nothing. Live, how, how can you live off that? Yeah, literally nothing. So now... So you <clears> wonder <throat> why these people would rob yeah. and sell drugs. Right. They're making nothing. Well, the the richest population of the CHA were the drug dealers. Right. So now, in 1986, when they did a census, um, the whole city of Chicago experienced 22.9 violent crimes per 1,000 people. That's mm-hmm. the entire city. Right. Abla, it had 47.8 violent crimes per 1,000 people. It was double yeah. of what the actual city oh, was. Oh, yeah. 
So it was, yeah. It was beyond. And so, I don't think people realize no, just how no. bad it, it actually yeah. was. So now <clears throat> the Grace Abbott homes was famous for their animal sculptures in the courtyard, which, and their shaped built, their buildings were shaped like wise. The other thing was there were no streets. There were no through streets no. in the, in the development. <clears throat> And no. the reason they did this was to create more recreational space and a sense of community, essentially, because according to um, a 1972 study conducted uh, in New York of New York high rises by a housing expert, high rises are the worst kind of building. Right. Because they pr- they promote um, anon- anon- anonymity. Thank you. Yes. Um so you could just hide. Yeah. You can hide in plain sight. Oh, you know? yeah. So the lack of streets really had the exact opposite effect. It really just isolated the projects and it made it almost impossible for fire and police and EMS to get, to get where they needed to go. Yeah. So it, it didn't help. It, right. it made it worse. Um, it was said, though, that Abbott residents didn't need streets anyways because fear kept them in their apartments. Yeah. Elevators were out of order for days. There, there were burned out light bulbs everywhere. And when they would get replaced, the residents would take the light bulbs because they couldn't afford to buy them. There were multiple instances of babies being thrown from windows of the high rises. Uh, teenagers being shoved down elevator chutes and intruders actually just busting through the wall yeah. of an apartment to get into it to rape and murder tenants. Um, and now we say this all the time <clears throat> about the area that we work in, which is very similar. Um, unless it's a slow news day, you don't you, hear, you don't about, hear it. about it. Right. So um, it, it was actually written in an article that unless there was something extraordinary about a murder that happened there, uh, it never made the news. It never did. Murders happened there weekly, and there were multiple murders in a week in warmer weather, which... Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Same in our area. As a matter of fact, with with Ruthie May, within days of her mur- or days of her murder, there were three other murders. Yeah, um, I, be- I believe it. Her murder did not become newsworthy until detectives determined that the killers had entered her apartment through the medicine cabinet in her bathroom. Mm-hmm. They came through the mirror. Yeah. How creepy is that? I have, I have goosebumps. I have it goosebumps, just, it too. It creeps me out. Like, just yep. listening to the... Like, how do... I, look, like, I got goosebumps. My hair's sticking I up. I can't imagine <clears throat> living there. No. I... Babe, no. I just... Yeah. No. So, even then, the story was buried for in the Tribune. It was in the Chicago Tribune. It was buried in the Chicagoland section, which, if you are from around here and you know the Tribune, that's like past the classifieds. Right. It's like in the back of the paper, right. you know? Um, and it only ran one time, days that, after the event. That's insane. Yeah. According to a janitor who did not want to be named, the residents were as equally as uninterested in this murder as the papers were. He said, quote, you get desensitized by what goes on here every day. It's animalism over here. Yeah. That's the prevailing life condition of the people. Animalism. Where you worry about those who are stronger and you care nothing about those who are weaker. Yeah. Survival of the fittest. said perfectly. No one seems surprised by how they got into her apartment either. 
Apparently, people had been entering apartments through the bathroom mirrors and the medicine cabinets for at least a year. That's starting oh in 1986. God. It was common knowledge that you could get from one apartment to the next on the corner apartments, so the t- the two apartments at the end of the hall, mm-hmm. um, via the pipe chase behind the cabinets. So there was a two and a half foot space behind the cabinets. So like the, yeah. the bathroom cabinet would like butt up against the bathroom cabinet, the one behind it. Right. And in between, there was a two and a half foot space where the pipes were. Right. And the reason they did that was so because of the high rise, you can't, you know, it made it easier to fix. You would just have to go in and literally remove the medicine cabinet from and you can get the to six the whole fucking nails mm. that was held up by. Yeah. And you could get through the pipes and you could get to the pipes and fix it. So yeah. that's why they did it. Um, in some areas of the building, though, you could actually climb vertically from one apartment to the next. That's insane. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, the janitor said, quote, it's the way to go from one apartment to the next, even if you're not killing nobody. Wow. One woman said that she watched somebody come out of her bathroom mirror and run through her front door. And then... <laughs> Could you imagine that? A 13-year-old tried to do the same thing, but he was a little chunky. And he got stuck in the hole. And that's how he got caught. But they were running. That's how they would get away from the police and from mm-hmm. security guards and other people. Yeah. So now, <clears throat> at the time, the late 80s, the black gangsters' disciples were prevalent oh in the CHE. Yeah, they, they were. had essentially taken over the entire Abbott building. Yeah, um, they would link vacant apartments by removing the medicine cabinets altogether, and that was their. That's how they moved the drugs. That's how they got away from the police. It's just mm-hmm. that's just how it was. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the cabinet opening was relatively small, though it was only like a foot and a half wide, and then there were pipes. obviously that you had to get through so an area four detective by the name of ray lesser said quote a lot of policemen wouldn't be able to make it through there i think i wouldn't be able to make it through my fat ass wouldn't get through i i wouldn't be able to make it through it made me think of the window at work yeah so like when you walk into our work now yeah um there's a you walk into a vestibule and there's like it's almost like a drive-thru a drive-thru window. window and the thing to do is you give birth to yourself through the window right. and like your whole top half is in the window and your and whole you, bottom half is in the vestibule and that's yeah. just what, pe- that's people, what people do have always done yeah that's how it's been for fuck as long as i can remember yeah so that's kind of what it reminded me of yeah it's i'm a like good, fuck, man i wouldn't be getting through there it's a good comparison yeah I don't know how fucking Tits McGee got her front half through the <laughs> through it the other day. I was like, you got three, you getting back out. She's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> so, all right. Ruthie Mae McCoy was born in Hughes, Arkansas on January 13th, 1935 to parents Hayes and Sarah McCoy. She was one of eight children who was raised a uh, devout Baptist. Her brother would actually become a minister. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. They, like many others in this time, moved to the south side of Chicago from the southern states for job opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, when they the got here, though, mills. yeah, they they weren't the job opportunities weren't that great. Um, they weren't that they, they weren't as abundant as people thought they were going to be. Right, and they didn't pay as well as people thought they were going to. Um, now her father eventually found work moving coal. The money wasn't good, and they ended up struggling harder in Chicago than they did in Arkansas. Oh, really? Um, 
other than that, her childhood was relatively uneventful. Mm-hmm. Uh, she attended Phillips High School for a short time before she dropped out in the 10th grade. It's believed she dropped out to help her family out, oh. to, to get a job. And yeah. stuff. So she would work and take care of her siblings. Right. Now, according to her family, Ruthie started displaying signs of mental illness in her early 20s. Although, at the time, they weren't they didn't know that that's what it was. Yeah, it's still early in yeah. its stages. So, she would talk to herself often and was prone to sudden bursts of anger. But at that time, mental illness was not really a thing. No, not you know? at all. So, not at all. It's it's really thought that her family just didn't recognize the behavior as a health issue and just kind of brushed it off right um at the time there were very few resources for anybody with mental health and even less resources for the poor and african-americans oh yeah so i mean she just basically nothing 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 at that point um so because of this her illness ended up going undiagnosed and untreated for a very long time Um, Through her 20s, she worked as a laundromat attendant and a housekeeper and did a lot of other various odd jobs. Um, But her mental health was constant and consistent and just in a constant decline, Mm -hmm. which made it hard for her to hold down a job. She really survived on government assistance in between that. Right. Um, Now, her brother Haywood became a preacher, and he prayed for Ruthie but blamed her behavior on, quote, stepping out of God. Hmm. He said that he prays for her health, but says in order for God to intervene, quote, people have got to want help. Oh, okay. Then help her. Yeah. Uh, Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Give her a fucking hand. Hello. Yeah. Instead of telling her she's doing wrong by God, give her a fucking hand. Right. Help her out there, fucking preacher man. Right. Now, at 27, Ruthie gave birth to her only child, a daughter named Vernita. Uh, Ruthie May never disclosed who the father was or where he was, and she ended up being Probably a single didn't mother. Know. Right? Um, no, she knew because oh, she, she. Oh, yeah. She um, she ended up after he left or she left him. One of the two. She was um, constantly talking about how um, her words, not mine. Black men are not good. Oh, geez. and would preach that to her daughter. Really? Yeah, yeah. Would preach it to her daughter. So. Wow. Um, Vernita actually spent a lot of her childhood staying with relatives because Ruthie Mae was in and out of institutions. They were called institutions at the time. Mm-hmm. They are no longer called that. They are called right. mental health facilities. Yep. They were institutions at the time. Um, Vernita didn't understand her mom's behavior. She's a child. She didn't know. Um, when, when Ruthie Mae would have outbursts, Vernita would say, quote, Mama, why are you cussing at these people? You don't know them. You might get hurt. Uh. Now, Ruthie May, Ruthie May was a bit intimidating. Yeah. Uh, She was 5'11 and 250. Oh, yeah. She's a big, big mama. Yeah. And walked around with a stick. Big mama jamma. (laughs) Walked around with a stick, shaking. There you go. Which, I mean, same, Ruthie May. (laughs) Right. That's what I want to do anyways. Um, So she would go, you know, she would be institutionalized. She would get put on a medication regimen and she would be doing very well. She would be discharged on the medication, and when she took it, she, she, was would be, okay. she would be great. Yeah. Sometimes she just wouldn't take it. Right. Other times she would take it, but then run out and not be able to afford more. Yeah. So it was kind of like a vicious cycle that she was uh, in. That's you know? a shame. Um, 
So Ruthie May and Vernita lived in multiple low-income apartments and housing projects on both the west and south sides of Chicago. In 1982, uh, Vernita was in her early 20s when she gave birth to her own child. The following year, in 1983, Vernita gets arrested and charged uh, with aggravated battery and is sent to a short stint in county. So then Ruthie May takes care of her one-year-old grandchild. Yeah. At the time, she was living in a basement apartment in Humboldt Park. Another great area. Uh The apartment flooded and they're forced out. So Ruthie May has no choice but to file for um, emergency assistance with the Chicago Housing Authority. Mm-hmm. After turning in her application, she wrote two letters to the CHA. The first letter asked if she could be placed by, um, by her family on the south side in Wentworth Gardens, which is a CHA yeah. uh, um, development. And the second letter asked if she could be placed anywhere but a high rise. She was paranoid she yeah. all the time yeah. her mental health she had severe paranoia but moving into the high rise I, uh, she had a legit reason i, I don't blame and, her you know i so, do not blame her at all despite her request she was offered an apartment in the grace abbott homes y-shaped building with nowhere else to go she accepted apartment 1109 at 1140 west 13th street uh this was in may of 1983 After Vernita was released from prison, she had a second child. And then shortly after, her uh, her two children and her boyfriend, Louis Butler, moved in with Ruthie May. Yeah. Everything was going well for a while. Uh, Ruthie May loved being around her grandchildren. But around 1985, Ruthie May and Louis started to butt heads. Ruthie May would say that Louis reminded her of Vernita's father, and she was constantly accusing him of cheating. Yeah. To the point, uh, Vernita and Lewis finally just took their kids in and moved out. Too much. They had much. no other choice. Yeah, yeah, too much. So for the first time, probably in her life, Ruthie Mae is alone. She's not happy. Um, she had always been terrified of her place being broken into, but now being alone, it really oh my God, exacerbated yeah. that. Yeah. Right. She had always had a fascination with locks, <clears throat> but this now turned it into an obsession. Yeah. Um, she was upset and she missed her family. So it started to really affect her mental health and her behavior towards her neighbors. She started dressing like a, quote, bag lady, yelling at the kids about music being too loud and threatening kids with a stick she now constantly carried. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, the kids made fun of her and called her strange, which just made her want to hit them with a stick more. Yeah. And I mean, listen. Kids are dicks. Kids are... Sometimes your kids are assholes. Sometimes your kid's an asshole. Yep. And sometimes people are strange. And you know what? If your kid calls somebody strange and they get hit with a stick... They deserve it. That's on them. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry They deserved it. Um, So police were called constantly. And they said that she wasn't... She wasn't violent. She was just argumentative. (laughs) Same, Ruthie Mae. Same. (laughs) I feel you. I got you. So... She's increasingly now terrified of living alone, which increases her paranoia. She ends up having her locks changed twice on her own, not through the CHA. Um, You're not supposed to do that because the CHA is supposed to have keys to all of these apartments, which, fuck you, no. Right. Um, You're not coming in. (laughs) It would have taken months, though, you know? Right. 
So she also developed a habit of turning neighbors' doorknobs to make sure that their doors were locked. Hmm. And then she would chastise anyone whose doors weren't locked. Really? I mean, lock your shit. Lock your shit up. She did the same with cars uh, and was constantly setting off car alarms. So, yeah. <laughs> um, this lady. Yeah. Along with increasing paranoia, her behavior becomes increasingly more odd. Um, she would wear multiple layers of thick clothing in the dead of summer and not enough clothing in the dead of winter while making snow angels. Oh, <clears throat> that's nice. I mean, people do that drunk. Yeah. Whatever. There were extreme fluctuations in her weight. Mm-hmm. Um, on August 10th, my dad's birthday, 1986, everything kind of comes to a head. Ruthie Mae brings her four-year-old grandson, Bobby, to the ER at what was Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Uh-oh. Medical Center. So yeah. Rush, as we know it out here. Right. Um, <clears throat> he had deep lacerations to his face, his arms, and his legs. Now, Ruthie Mae says he fell down the stairs, which the stairs in the housing authority were not carpeted. Um, they were not great stairs so it's not unheard of to have these type of injuries yeah from falling down a couple stairs where they lived yeah um but due to her strange behavior the staff suspects that she pushed bobby down the stairs hmm. um they end up attempting to contact dcfs now i couldn't find anything to see if they went to the kid and was like not to push you down the stairs yeah like, because that's the first thing you would like do. Like, give them a forensic yeah. interview. But unfortunately, at this time, <clears throat> it was... It, with the African-American population, it was accused first, asked questions later. Oh, yeah. Um, Without a doubt. And she's very concerned about her grandson, and it was obviously taken the wrong way and misconstrued, and they I don't know if they asked him. Yeah. Um, he was fine. My, my guess is no. My guess is no, also. He was he was fine. Um, now, ooh, sorry. When they tell Ruthie May like that we're, they're going to call DCFS, she loses her shit, and they end up having to restrain her. Which, I, yeah, same. I would have done the same thing. Uh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So Vernita arrives to the ER and explains to the hospital, you know, like this is her normal behavior. She did not right. push him down the stairs. Blah blah blah. Yeah. But they actually, um, it, it almost sounded like. It was like a tit for tat. They're like, well, you petition her and we won't call DCFS. So Vernita ended up signing an involuntary petition for psychiatric admission Mm -hmm. for her mom, which worked out in her favor. Okay. But it really sounded like it was a, it was a either petition her or we're calling DCFS. So at that point, Vernita, she has no other choice. She really, I mean, she's, that's like a, it's like a double-edged fucking sword, you know? So she does petition her, and Ruthie May is sent to the Illinois State Psychiatric Institute for Evaluation and Treatment. Where was that at? I don't know, because it's not a place anymore. No. Yeah. Um, so there, Ruthie May is diagnosed with residual-type schizophrenia. Ooh. I looked it up for you. Thank you. Uh, According to the National Institute of Health, residual schizophrenia is a subtype of schizophrenia in which an individual at some point has experienced an episode of schizophrenia, but is no longer experiencing hallucination and delusions, disorganized speech or behavior. Uh, The residual symptoms are considered negative symptoms, 
And they are more uh, lack of motivation, low energy, depression, yeah. and maybe some similar symptoms to like an active stage, but not mm. as much. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, thank you for that. <clears throat> you're very. Cool. Um. So wait, I know there's more. Uh. Okay. While it is called, and there's more. <laughs> while it is called the quote recovery stage, obviously you don't recover from it. Uh, people can still exhibit constant symptoms such as social social isolation, speaking to self, acute superstitiousness. Ooh, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that either. Because it's kind of so they they tie su- being superstitious in with OCD. Yeah. Because if you think about it, it's the same thing. Which yeah, I get it. I get it. Everybody who knows me. I have to hit the car alarm three times. Yeah, oh my God. If it's not three times, crazy. you have to unlock it and you have to do it again. Or filling up gas, you got to It be has odd, to be an odd number. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. I'm weird. You are. Sorry. You're trash. But every, everybody knows that. That's what I love, that the people who know me, they, they just know. Right. Jackson, too. When you're like, just pulling to a pump. Dad, it's got to be odd. It's got to be odd. Thanks, my dude. Um... Also, one of the other constant um, symptoms of the recovery stage could be a digressive speech pattern and paranoia. So, mm-hmm. Mm, thank you for looking that up. Now, on September 18th of 1986, Ruthie May is discharged from the institution with instructions to follow up with the Mount Sinai Psychiatric Center. I spelled Sinai so fucking wrong. <laughs> I bet. I think I spelled it four different ways. <clears throat> yeah. But like, I know, I, I knew what I meant. Whatever. <laughs> um, so the Mount Sinai Psych- Psychiatric Center is, uh, it's a state funded thing. I don't, have you ever it's heard? It's still there, right? You, I think so. Have you ever called what, do you know what they call Mount Sinai? Mount Say Goodbye? I'd never heard uh, that before. All the hospitals in the city have Nicknames. Nicknames. St. Anthony's is Holy Tony's. Roseland. Oh, God. Dude. Never send me there. They love my boss. Do they really? Oh, my God. They had He goes there all all the time. All the fucking time. Because they're in and out. Now, they're not... It's not like a big ER. No, it's not at all. And they don't take anything significant. So, they had like a drop-off. Somebody like... I think it was a shooting. They just drove by and pushed pushed Mm -hmm. him out to the hospital. Babe, I shit you not, they called and asked for the paramedic and his wife. <laughs> really? And I was like, Jackie got a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> so they needed a trauma transfer. They needed him out of their facility. No kidding. So they wanted us to do the trauma transfer. Oh, that's and funny. he went and did it. Instead of calling the city. They, they Nope. I need the paramedic and his wife. That's is funny. Is what they said, yeah. So they all have names out there. Mount say goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, That's so bad. It, yeah. Mom had her surgery there. She yeah. had the bad. She, she's allergic to staples. Yeah. Because who the fuck is allergic to I staples? I know. Isn't Mom. that crazy? Mm-hmm. Staples. Ugh. And ivory soap. I'm allergic to ivory soap, which is like 99.9% pure. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. It's because the devil. The yeah. devil. Um, Man, that was bad. I had to pack her stomach and... Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Sam was like, thank God you're alive. To me, so I could pack it, not like, yeah. Um, So this facility offered group therapy, arts and crafts. Yeah. 
They 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 really push the arts and crafts. Oh, they they did at mine Which when I, I get. was in. I get. Yeah. Sometimes it's soothing, you know. Yeah. I can't do the coloring books though. I get very nervous about the color scheme, and if it's not right, and it's just not relaxing. No, to me. they they push it big time. Mm-hmm. It's it keeps you occupied. That's yes. why. So yeah. Um, they would do uh, meals and also GED classes. Now, Ruthie Mae was super skeptical, but she participates anyways. Um, by, oh wait, I think I have a, What? nothing. Um. Well, you're looking pretty hard, what? Yeah, I couldn't, I thought I put something else here. So, um, now right around the time she gets discharged from the, uh, institute, she applies for SSI, which is, um, supplemental income, social security, basically. Yeah. So she applied right after that. Uh, she actually found out in February of 1987 that she was approved for the SSI, which means her income now doubles. Good. She goes from getting $154 a month to $340 a month. My God, that's still I, babe, nothing. That oh is absolutely God. nothing. And she, she got back pay <clears throat> from when she applied. So she ended up yeah. also getting a back pay check for $1,979. That's like hitting the lottery oh, for her. Huge. Yeah. Huge, huge. So she bought a few inexpensive, normally unnoticeable things. She bought a plain winter coat, uh, some clothes, and some inexpensive household items. Um, but she also starts sending money to preachers and ministers. Oh, what? what? Yeah. What are you doing that for? Yeah. They Do don't you, need your money. Mm-mm. No, and that's what Vernita would say. She's like, ma, ma, what, what are you doing? Yeah, they don't need your money. But she would say to her mom, quote, don't you understand? It's just a big con. And Ruthie Mae would just tell her, quote, you don't have faith. You don't believe in anything. And Vernita's like, I do, but not con men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. I do, but not fucking rich people that are yeah. cheating the system. No, it was like, we're going to send you this piece of wood and sleep with it under your pillow. It's anointed wood and oh, sleep with God. it under your pillow and yeah. send it back with or an $8 holy donation. holy water or some yeah. shit. So by early 1987, around the time that, you know, she gets the, the SSI, she's she's much more comfortable and in, in the program and participating. And she's starting to find some stability in her life. Um, she starts going three times a week for group therapy and arts and crafts, and she soon enrolls in the GED classes. Good for her. The first day of class, she tested, um, overall generalized education at a seventh grade level. However, she worked really hard and within just a couple months, she's now testing at a ninth grade level. Good for her. So from February, it's huge from February to April. She went from 7th grade to ninth grade, and she was really hoping to get her GED by June. Yeah. Now, she was telling people that she wanted to take classes to become a nurse. So, her GED teacher was a little, I don't want to say skeptical, but skeptical, I guess, when Ruthie started um, yeah. the class. Because she still wasn't, like, where she wanted to be. Right. Um, but the teacher ended up saying later on that she was a sharp and brilliant student um, and then described her as warm and kind and well-liked by everybody in class. Oh, They awesome. called her Miss May. Miss May. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an old lady name. Yeah. Miss May. Now, as time goes on, Ruthie <clears throat> May becomes, um, she becomes almost a mother figure to the younger women in the program. Oh. 
again, telling them don't waste their time and money and black men are not good. Ooh, yeah. Yikes. Um, so now, Ruthie May's mental health is, it's been diagnosed. She's being treated on a consistent basis. She's comfortable. Yeah. She's confident. She starts thriving. Awesome. Until April. Oh, boy. Uh, April 22nd of 1987. Started as a normal day for Ruthie May. Uh, she stops by her neighbor, De- her neighbor Deborah's house on the way out, which she does every day mm-hmm. on her way out and on her way back in. She goes to say hi to Deborah. She gets on the bus to go to the Mount Sinai program. She spends her day doing normal activities. And towards the end of the day, she speaks to um, Mount Sinai. Um, it's another patient, I believe, about her living situation. Yeah. She said she needs help getting out of ABLA now that she can afford to. So she was planning on using that back pay check to mm-hmm. get a new apartment. Um, now, really unbeknownst to Ruthie Mae, her neighbors had taken notice of the few items that she had purchased. Oh, boy. You don't come in and out no. of the Abbott building with shopping bags. No. You just don't. And People it was normal, watching. normal fucking things, you know? Like I said, usually unnoticeable things. I mean, it's it's just like you put in a box of a big screen TV mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the bottom of your porch right. for garbage day. Right. People take notice of that. Right. So on the ride home that day, Ruthie May is talking to the woman sitting next to her in the van and tells this woman that someone has threatened her life. Now, not knowing if it's an actual thing or if it's Ruthie May's paranoia, the woman suggests that Ruthie May tell an employee of the Mount Sinai program on the next day. Uh, Ruthie May said she just didn't want to get anybody else involved. Yeah. So, excuse me, she had previously told people at the center that people had been coming into her home and taking shit. Hmm. Um, she had put in requests, multiple requests with the CHA to be moved into a row house or a bottom floor apartment, but those all went unanswered. Yeah. Because, I mean, why would you fucking answer anything? Yeah, of course. I mean, why would you do why that? Why do your job? Uh, uh, Fancy mm. that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> now, she goes home. You know, she's home. At 8.45 p.m., Ruthie May calls 911. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you flipped the page hard. Yeah. Shit's about to go down. She says, quote, I'm a resident at uh, 1440 West 13th Street, and some people next door are totally tearing this down, you know? Very frantic. Yeah. The dispatcher says, what are they doing, ma'am? And when you listen to the tape, um, it's very hard to understand her. Uh, the dispatcher tries to catch on and she's like, oh, they want, he, excuse me, they want to break in. And Ruthie May says, quote, yeah, they throw the cabinet down. And he says, from where? And yeah. she says, quote, I'm in the projects. I'm on the other side. You can reach, can reach my bathroom. They want to come through the bathroom. Yeah. He says, all right, ma'am, at what address? She gives him the address again, says apartment 1109. The elevator's working. Mm-hmm. She made a point to say that because the police would not go into the elevator. They, st- they will not. Or they weren't working Yeah, most of the time. And the cops are not history showing. Yeah. They're not walking up 11 flights of fucking stairs. Right. Um, which ugh, Fatty McGee over here says the same. Um, 
So he says, you know, he asks her name and he says, all right, I'll send the police. Now, he would later say that he wasn't sure what the fuck she was trying to report. Yeah. He didn't know what she meant by they throw the cabinet down and they want to come through the bathroom. He didn't know. Right. So he guessed. Okay. He made a bad guess. Uh, Usually you do. So he closed out the call without really assigning a car, but told the beat car, which is the patrol car in the area, uh, in the 12th district, to go to this address to deal with a, quote, disturbance with a neighbor complaint. Oh, boy. He did not report the call as a break-in, despite the fact that that's what she she said. said. They're coming in. Yeah. That's not um, normal. That's not a neighbor dispute. No. Um, So at 9.02 p.m., another 911 call comes in. Uh, It's a woman who said she was walking through the hallway and heard gunshots coming from apartment 1109. Yeah. At 9.04 p.m., another 911 call comes in. This one is to report gunshots and, quote, hollering from apartment 1109. Mm. Two police cars head to the scene. At approximately 9.10, four officers arrive at Ruthie May's apartment door. They pound on the door and announce themselves. When they get no response, they had dispatch call Ruthie May back, which all the time. That's, yeah, that's what you do. Can you call? Give me a callback number. Yep. You know? normal procedure. Um, One officer said, quote, we think somebody may be in there holding somebody. You boot the door. Hmm. You boot that damn door. Dispatch called Ruthie May and got no answer. And we know they got no answer because the officer standing outside her door could hear the fucking phone ring. Yeah. So You boot the door. She called 25 minutes ago and said somebody was coming in her fucking door. You get no answer. I don't know what supervisor would have an issue at that point. Oh, I'll with tell you, you why. Kicking the door in. Oh, no, no. It, mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Two officers remained downstairs and they were instructed to drive uh, over to, it was one block over on Loomis, uh, to the project office yeah. to get the key. Ruthie May had changed her lock just twice. Uh, the key didn't work. Yeah. It's so, taking too much time on this. Yeah. Uh, the officers attempted to speak with the neighbors, who uh, they were met with either vacant apartments, no answers, or I didn't see shit. You boot the door in. Because now it has been seen in the past that snitches, you know, snitches get stitches. And end up in ditches. Well, in the Abbott building, snitches had their front door doused in gasoline oh, and started yeah. on fire. Yep. Um, so now the few people that did answer said that an elderly woman lived in that apartment and she always answered the door. Mm -hmm. So one officer told the dispatcher as such and then said, quote, and there's no answer. So I don't know if maybe she answered to the wrong person or what. Wait, don't even say it. Okay. With no answer and no key, the officers decide at 948 p.m., Ah, fuck it. We're going to go. Oh, and left. guys, you're killing me. And left. You are killing me, guys. And left. The next day, Ruthie May's neighbor, Deborah, calls the police. 
She says that she saw the police at the apartment the night before and was concerned because Ruthie Mae always comes to her house in the morning and in the evening, Mm -hmm. but she hasn't seen her since the previous morning. So now this is how it's termed in the article. Half a dozen officers, so half a dozen CPD officers, Mm -hmm. and it says approximately four to five CHA security guards, which we know as the CHA police. Police, yeah. Flip again. Uh, Knocked and announced again. Again, they got no response. The officers started discussing breaking down the door, but the CHA officers discouraged them from doing so. What? One said that the tenant will sue if you break in. So the fuck what? Another says if they break the door down, they will have to post somebody there until it's secure. Oh, I'm sorry. So CPD You gotta do your job. Eh, fuck it. And left again. Oh my god, these guys. They just left. These guys. You're gonna get sued for doing nothing. They left. So now on April 24th, 1987, two days, two full days, mm-hmm. Deborah now notifies the, uh, de- the project development's office. At around 1 p.m., a CHA official goes to Ruthie May's apartment with a carpenter. The carpenter drilled through the lock to force entry. When they entered the apartment, they found Ruthie May on the floor of her bedroom. She was lying on her side in a pool of blood, a hand over her chest, one shoe on and one shoe off. She was surrounded by papers, magazine cutouts, and change. She had magazine cutouts everywhere. Yeah. Religious ones, dental ones, which I'm about to do that. Yeah. Um, when they turned Ruthie May just a slight bit, they could smell decomp already. Oh so they knew she had been in there. Yeah. For, yeah. Ruthie May had been shot four times with what appeared to be a medium caliber weapon. She had gunshot wounds to the left shoulder and left thigh. A third gunshot wound entered into the right side of her abdomen, pierced her liver, and exited the left side of her abdomen. Kill shot. Nope. The fourth and fatal shot entered her right upper upper arm. Oh, yeah. Went into her chest. That'll do it. And severed her pulmonary vein. Yeah, that'll do it. Uh, The medical examiner, Dr. Yufil Choi, listed the cause of death as internal bleeding because it's a vein. It's not going to bleed. Yeah, you're going to bleed in. He said that she didn't die immediately, but she didn't last long. He also stated that he didn't think immediate intervention would have changed the ultimate outcome. But still. Still. That's not the point. No. Still. Their inaction, there's a cause and effect. Yeah. And it was a huge cause and effect. You fuck yeah, it was. Um, A doctor at Cook County Hospital uh, pronounced her time of death as 4.35 p.m. So it turns out this is not the first time that this has happened. Vernita said that burglars had broken into Ruthie May's apartment through the medicine cabinet the year prior. Oh my God, that's so creepy. She reported it, but the Chicago Housing Authority never came to fix it. Did nothing. A neighbor Why recalls, do your job? Mm-hmm, a neighbor recalls seeing the, the medicine cabinet propped up against the tub as late as early April. So a couple wow. weeks prior. Now, according to the CHA, there is no record in Ruthie May's housing file reporting a break-in or any issues with her medicine cabinet. Mm. Okay. Sure. So after finding Ruthie May, police search her apartment. They don't find much. And by much, I mean there's no money, 
There's no TV. Yeah. There's no chair. Mm -hmm. There's no phone. Everything's gone. Jesus. Now, Vernita tells the police about the large check her mother had just cashed and that she kept cash in the apartment. Uh, Ruthie Mae's 19-inch TV was gone and her rocking chair was gone. And I can't remember the brand of it, but it's... I know it's like a popular brand because my grandma had one. Oh, really? Um, But her phone is gone. Why fucking take that? Her landline phone is gone. Well, I mean... But when did you take it? Because the police were at the door and they heard the fucking phone ring. Yeah, so someone probably came back in. They went back in. Or they were still there when you were knocking on the door. Right. What else is gone? The medicine cabinet. The whole medicine cabinet is gone. Sell the pills. It's it's what the medicine cabinet is gone. Dude. Who fucking took that? Shitheads. So they only find one bullet casing and no fingerprints. Yeah. So, um, you can look through the hole in her bathroom wall right into yeah. apartment eleven oh eight. Oh wow. Okay? Now, that apartment appears to be vacant, but police learned that the rent had been paid for that apartment up until May. Mm -hmm. Um, The people who were actually currently staying in 1108 weren't on the lease. It was a teenager by the name of Tim Brown. Now, the first names are, they differ per source. So I just have to say that. So I'll say last names. Um, Brown said an old friend lived there, but when she decided to leave, she left the keys for Mm -hmm. him. He said that he spent the day of the 22nd in 1108 with a, a, a friend by the name of Corey Floynoy. Um, Floynoy. 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 Um, now, both said they spent the day at the apartment, but then they spent the evening on the far west side at a party. They gave the same accounts up until they said where they spent the actual night of the 22nd. When confronted with the conflicting stories, Brown changed his story. Of course. He said he was with his buddy Corey when three other men arrived. Um, Ronald Coleman, Edward Turner, who is Ted Turner in some sources, and John Honduras. Now, Ronald Coleman tells Brown, I heard a new trick about robbing apartments. And he starts telling him about how they go through, you know, the the pipe chase. And all, it's like, there's people in the walls constantly. That's creepy. There's people as in the fuck. fucking walls. Yeah, that's... that is why Candyman is as fucking scary as it is. Yeah, because there's people in the walls. Yeah, it's like when you find, like somebody's been living in your attic and eating your food. And... Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> now Brown initially says that him and two others left, and that Turner and Honduras broke into apartment 1109. But then the next breath says that he was still in apartment 1108, heard the commotion, heard Ruthie Mae yelling at them, heard gunshots, and then saw Turner and Honduras leave with a TV and a chair, and they went back into the apartment later to get the shell casings. So, now I fucking do it. Jesus Christ. Um, It's contagious. So now the, the... the crime scene's completely fucking compromised because oh, they're God, in yeah. and out, obviously. They took yeah. the phone after, you know, police were there. So it turns out that both Turner and Hond- Honduras, Honduras, whatever, however you say it, they're both residents of the Glen Abbott buildings or the Grace Abbott's buildings. Yeah. So they probably did see her. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> so Turner was arrested within days. He lived in one of the row house apartments. And then Honduras was arrested in June, and he lived on the ninth floor of the Grace Abbott building. So they were arrested pretty quickly, right? Yeah, that is pretty quick. So the trial did not start until March 27th of 1990. Oh my God, that's Cook County for you. There was literally no media coverage. Mm -hmm. So there's literally nothing I could find about it. Um. There's virtually no evidence either. So right. the prosecution must rely solely on witness testimony, which is conflicting. Yeah. There's multiple accounts that change. Yeah. Um, the only person from her family that showed up was her brother. Oh, my God. Um, which I wonder where her daughter was. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. Yeah. Because in so she was she was buried April 30th mm-hmm. of that year. Uh, she's buried in Homewood. Actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. OK. Um. I'm morbid curiosity. I kind of want to go. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, and in 1988, Vernita sued um, the Chicago Housing Authority. Oh, really? Blaming them for her mom's death, saying that the layout of the building caused her death, essentially. Yeah. Um, it's unknown, the outcome of that. Wow. I can't find it anywhere. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And you dig deep. And I dig deep. And I couldn't find anything wow it just it just goes to show you there's yeah nobody gave a shit that no one cared yeah um <clears throat> the trial lasted for two fucking years what now again because there was no media coverage yeah there's nothing that i could find about the trial that's insane it would have to be like a foia request simply because it's probably just fucking buried yeah there's nothing yeah. Wow. I even I looked up the different first names that they gave in all the different sources and yeah. I, it's just got to be buried. Oh, that's insane. Which means it's probably never been fucking microfiched onto the internet, you know it, what I mean? Right, right. Now, after 2 years of trial, I might FOIA just to see if I, I can see, yeah. if I'll get a response. Both men were acquitted due to lack of evidence. Oh, you're kidding me. Nope. So there Lack of action caused these men. There, there was nothing. Yeah. Nothing. God only knows what they could have found if yeah. they went in right then. Boot the fucking door. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, my God. That's terrible. So now <clears throat> it's been questioned multiple times, especially after the movie Candyman came out. And it, it so Candyman came out in 92. Um, people started asking questions. Yeah. Like, why Why the fuck didn't the police do anything? You know, even the article in the paper was like, what kind of a place are we letting people live in that this happens? And still right. nobody took notice. Right. Um, uh, the why, washer's done. Yeah. Oh, my God. Dryer. That was fucking loud as shit. Why the officers failed to enter the apartment. Um, I, I couldn't have put it better myself. One article said, quote, well, some 911 stories are just more significant than others. <sighs> Um, they, in the same year, um, <clears throat> in May of 1987, there was a high-rise fire in the Loop, mm-hmm. and 31-year-old Nancy Clay, a white suburban, white-collar worker, perished in the fire. Uh, there were indications that the 911 system had failed her, meaning the dispatchers did not really indicate that she was trapped to the yeah. fireman upon her first call. Right. She made multiple phone calls saying she couldn't breathe. 
I'm going to pass out. Somebody's got to find me before I die. And it's alleged that the dispatcher didn't relay that information to the firemen when they were searching for How do you not? Yeah. This prompted weeks of media coverage, a city council investigation, a council hearing featuring testimony by the fire commissioner, which was broadcast on public radio, and several new proposed ordinances. Wow. The performance of the police in Ruthie May's murder didn't even merit a departmental investigation. How fucking terrible. When asked throughout the duration, a police department spokesperson would just consistently say that due to a full-scale investigation being in progress, they could not say anything. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Now, she assured a reporter that everybody would be interviewed. The officers, the security guards, the neighbors. When the reporter went back to ask, the spokesperson said that she had been mistaken. There was no investigation because there was no need for one. Uh, Captain Raymond Risley, an assistant to the superintendent at the time, said that he did an informal check regarding the reporter's questions. And uh, he was satisfied that his officers had acted properly in not breaking into the apartment. Though their decision was a, quote, tough call, a a coin toss. Real, real tough. Real fucking tough. Now, he goes on to say that had the 911 calls come from somewhere other than a housing project, the officers perhaps would have forcibly entered the apartment to check on the resident. Damn right. But so many 911 calls from projects are hoaxes, and officers have to consider that when choosing their course of action. Still, it's a vacant, if you think it's vacant, what what harm is going to be in booting the door? You pay $50 for the door? Right. Because I'm pretty sure the door didn't cost that much money. Right. If the medicine cabinets are only held up with six nails? Yeah. I'm sure the door is mm. probably the same. Yeah. But to go on record saying, had it come from anywhere but there... That's, oh, yeah, they totally would have forced entry. Yeah. hundred fucking percent. That's so messed up. We force entry all the time. Yeah, I know. We did, too. All the time. We did, too. It was no big deal. You used to have to do it for us. Right. All the time. <laughs> come, come fucking donkey kick this goddamn door in because somebody called and I have to make sure they're not laying on the fucking ground. Exactly. I've been on calls before where they call for the possible DOA and they try to not let us in. No, no, you called for a, a dead body. Yeah. We have to come make sure there isn't said dead body right. in here. Like, we, fuck, we forced entry twice last night. Yeah. Twice. Yep. From a medical alarm with no response. So that means, like, the, I've fallen and I can't get up. But, yeah, you know, right. They push it, you know, and then the they have a, like, a pod thing. And the the alarm company can talk to the resident. Yeah, yeah. And if they don't get a response, obviously they, they call, call us. Yeah. And if we can't get in, we force entry. Mm-hmm. This woman called and said that somebody was breaking in. And within 25 minutes, she didn't answer the door or the phone. That's so messed up. We go in if the lady's at the hairdresser and hit the button by fucking mistake. Yep. We still go in. Mm-hmm. Will we send somebody through a screen? If it's cheaper than booting the door? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, but you're still going in. We're still going in. Every fucking time. Oh, man. This makes me so upset. 
I don't even know what to say. The department still to this day refuses to disclose the identities of the officers. I, I'm going to FOIA because I'm very curious to see what I can get. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that is uh, the story of Ruthie Mae McCoy. The candy man. The candy man. Ooh. There's fucking people in the walls. Man. And she knew it. Like somebody had done it before. Yeah. God, when I said the candy man, I got chills. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I keep just picturing the, the fucking spot, like the, the scene in the movie where he starts yeah, asking him if oh you want to be my next victim. I know. <gasps> oh, God. It's like Gage in Pet Cemetery. You oh, play with my. Me? Oh, stop. Stop. Yeah. You're, you're going to give me nightmares. Oh, that fucked me up when he cuts the heel. Oh, <laughs> the Achilles tendon. <laughs> Uh, it's like oh god that uh, it just some things just my th- that uh, movie th- what freaks me out the most and that I always had nightmares the guy that got hit by the the truck that my, Michael the doctor tries to save and he's like Michael like thank you but do you remember like no, he's I, in runner's babe, gear do you know he's like a uh, college student my eyes were closed for the oh vast majority my God. of that movie when he opens his eyes one oh my, it's like there's certain things like okay so the sixth sense all right so the kid who was like hey let me show you where my dad hides his gun and yeah. then he turns and i was like ooh, that one kind of fucked me up a little bit but then at the end when they're sitting in traffic and the mom's like, oh, I wonder if there's an accident. And he's like, yeah, somebody got hit by a car. And he, she's like, how do you know? And he's like, he's standing next to my window. Oh, and they my show God. the person on the bike staring <laughs> in the window. Oh, oh. All right, we're done talking about Well, I'm about not sleeping this. tonight. Yeah, uh, we're so done talking about how this. How many hours can I go? Let's see. <laughs> God. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have nightmares tonight. We're we're oh. actually going to be spooning tonight for the yeah. first time uh-huh. in yeah. like forever. Did you hear the girls last night when they were like, we're getting ready to start the movie? Yeah. I never know what the fuck they're watching, but the music alone is, yeah. I'm like, I I hate you guys. So now they warn me. Yeah. They're like, we're going to start it. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Okay. But she made me a burger Uh, and it was okay. So, but cool. Yeah. So, oh my God, they're in the walls. Yeah. It's fucked up. They're in the walls. Fucked up. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Fucking Candyman. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, Our next episode, I don't think we have decided yet what Mm -mm. we're going to do. But uh, it should just be a few days. Mm -hmm. So, um, and to those who have bought my book, thank you so much. Um, I hope you enjoy it and get something out of it i hope you get a little inspiration um if you guys wouldn't mind start putting some um reviews that would be great as well um and if you do need some inspiration my book is called progress not perfection it's you can buy it anywhere except i i I don't think target sells it um target doesn't have like a super big book section okay because so, that's the only place yeah, that i couldn't no they don't really I couldn't find it people don't go to target for books they go to target for like blankets and candles yeah yeah so but it's pretty much sold everywhere else um and hit us up on social media whatever platform you listen to us on please hit that five star liking and uh 
be safe once again for Halloween, guys. You know, there's crazies out there, so be careful. And I hope you have a good time. And It's supposed to snow tomorrow. I know. What the fuck? Can we have, like, a 50-degree Halloween, please? I know. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be nice. It's cold. Thank God for Brad. Oh, yeah. He always does, like, the last rounds with them when it's cold. I know. Your brother's a lifesaver. For that. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I hope you enjoyed it, and we will be talking to you soon. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.